You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at harvestoakville.ca. All right, 1 Samuel 18, Bible's open. Here we go. God's Word in front of us. Excited to learn together. Uh, I'm going to start today's message by reading a few verses from chapter 18. As I read these verses, look with me and see if you can discern a theme of chapter 18, okay? It's another way to do an introduction right now. Let's look at these verses together and let's see if we can see the theme that is apparent and abundant in chapter 18, okay? So David killed Goliath. He's returning now. He's with Saul. Watch what happens. Uh, 18 verse 5. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all, and the people also in the sight of Saul's servants. Looking now at 18, uh, verse 14 and 15. And David had, verse 14, David had success in all his undertakings, uh, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Look now finally at verse 30. Uh, beginning, middle, and end. Verse 30. Love to hear the pages turning. Can't hear that so much with the knee Bible, can you? That's okay, though. That's okay. That's okay. Ha, ha, ha. Okay, okay. Still means you're doing it. Verse 30. Then the princes of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. Now, what this is really describing here, and I wonder if you can see the theme already, this is describing the rocket launch of David's nationwide fame and success. So just imagine what must have transpired immediately following the defeat of Goliath and the triumph of the Israelites. So if you're David, like one, like one day you're a nobody in the shepherd's field. No one knows who you are. You're in, your own family doesn't care about you. You're in, a, in the shepherd's field. You're a nobody. And literally the next day you're a national hero. I mean, that's, that's amazing. Now, we read in these verses four times the word success is used. Four times the word success is used in the verses we read. Without a doubt, then, that's the theme of the chapter. Without a doubt, that is what the Holy Spirit wants to communicate as to what's going on uh, predominantly within this chapter. So the Lord was with David. God's favor was upon David. God was granting success to David. Now... Here's what we see, though, as we see God working within David. Here's what knowledge understands and wisdom applies. Do you know the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Knowledge is the information for a situation. Wisdom applies correctly that knowledge. So it's not just that we have knowledge. Wisdom correctly applies the knowledge we have so that it results in God's glory. So knowledge here understands wisdom applies this as we look at David's life, not to mention elsewhere in Scripture. Success, love and listen, this is huge. Success, even in the Lord, will always come with a cost. Success even as you are filled with God and bearing fruit for his glory, even that, especially that, will come at a price. And this is the truth we investigate today. The success of David in the Lord would cost him. Ready? The success of us in the Lord will cost us as well. This is why the sermon title then is The Price of Success, even, especially, in the Lord. So let's find out why then. We're going to jump right now to point number one as we unpack this theme, the price of success. Number one is this, success will be my greatest test. Success will be in life my greatest test. Again, look at verse five, and David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. Verse 14, and David had success in all his undertakings. Why? For the Lord was with him. So isn't it so interesting? Failure in our lives is certainly a great test. When we fail, we are tested in our motivations. We are tested how we respond. We are tested. Will we be discouraged? Will we give up? And yet, I suggest to you today from God's word, the far greater test in our lives will actually be when we succeed. Proverbs 27, verse 21 says this. Listen, listen, listen. The crucible is for silver, the furnace is for gold, and a man is tested by his praise. 
The crucible is for silver. The furnace is for gold. And the metaphor the Bible uses for that to translate the application is, and a man is tested by his praise. So in this sense, our success even in the Lord, is a tremendous form of temptation and a tremendous form of testing. It's a furnace of refining to find out what we're really made of. So I can only imagine the thoughts and the confusion in David's mind as he is catapulted, he is launched like a rocket into the spotlight from one day to the next. Remember, his whole life he's overlooked. His whole life he's been forgotten again by his own family. His whole life he's been scorned. And then in one day, he is celebrated by an entire nation. Question, question. What kind of character do you need to withstand such launching into celebrity and fame and the praise of men? What kind of character do you need to not succumb to the temptation to make it about yourself? The only way David withstands this onslaught of praise and this onslaught of fame is that he was a man after the heart of God. As long as his eyes stayed on the Lord, he was safe. When they come off the Lord onto self or onto the praise of man, he is done. This is the situation that David found himself in. And I want you to know and understand this. This is why so many men and women crumble under the pressure of success. Because they simply don't have the character to withstand the temptation of making it about themselves. It's so subtle, isn't it? It comes in just slow little waves and little thought patterns that slowly and subtly get off of the Lord. You're still saying the right things. You got your Christianese going on and you're not dumb enough to say things in public that would, would reveal your heart, but slowly you're turning towards the emphasis on self and gain and worldliness and, and, and materialism and pride. And if we're not careful, we will find ourselves completely off the worship of God and we will be on the worship of self. And of course, this does not only apply to the national celebrity. This applies to the small group leader with unusual influence of the people around them. This applies to the up-and-coming staff member of a church who's getting unusual attention. This applies to the elder with great biblical knowledge and unusual sense of authority. This applies to the business person who has seen profits soar and success all around them with the temptation, how they're going to use that. This applies to the worship leader who is lauded with praise. This applies to the mega church pastor and all that comes with that. This applies to the mother to the mother who has seen success in her children walking with the Lord and seeming that she has done all these things so well. This applies to the young person who's the top of their class, the best of their job, or beautiful in appearance. All these situations and thousands more will be true and massive tests of the heart. What I want you to see here, one of the lessons we just pause right now and to understand and to notice within God's word right here. Remember, David was in the shepherd's field. Now he's in the palace. You have to think some part of David, as this scene unfolds, some part of David is saying, man, the shepherd's field was a lot simpler. The shepherd's field was a lot purer in a lot of ways. The shepherd's field, man, it just wasn't nearly as busy and chaotic and confusing. The shepherd's field, man, that was a time where I was there in my lowly position, but so close to the Lord and just could see life. And what it, loved ones, here's the lesson. Don't ever despise the lowly position. We're so often like, I want to be more. I want to be more. I want to go farther. I want to be known. I want to have the opportunities. I want to, we don't know what we're asking for half the time. And our desire to be exalted to all these positions at work, our church, whatever it might be, we don't really know what we're asking for. Could it be how often we get what we want to our own destruction? Don't despise the lowly position because so often the purity of our lives is most seen in those places. So often our communion with the Lord because life is simpler and the fruit is abundant and the fellowship with God is so real. Don't despise that. Don't think, I just need to get there. I just need to be him. I just, I just need to be to a higher level. I got to climb up. Do you? Do you? We don't know what we want. But God does. And here's a lesson right here, man. The Lord works. The Lord works in the lowly. 
What are we learning here as well? We've said this before. It's such a great principle, such a great question. This then is God's great paradox. What is? God's great paradox is how does he bless a man without ruining him? How does he bless a woman without ruining her? So true, so true. And here's this quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones on this topic too. It's this. The worst thing that can happen to a man is for him to succeed before he is ready. The worst thing that can happen to a person is for them to achieve success before they are ready because if they do not have the character to withstand the success, it will destroy them. Just think about that. Take a moment to apply it to your life. I think of how many biblical examples that are presented to us of, of men and women who start off desperate for the Lord in weakness and humiliation, and they're so in need of God, but then success is found, and slowly over time their heart turns, it hardens, and slowly over time their dependence is lessened, and then it's not long before their pride overtakes them and the Lord can no longer use them. Look at this on the screen here too. This is, uh, is kind of like a, a counseling process that we have to think through so as comes my praise as comes success as success comes in my life even and especially in the lord what do i do with that do i take this success and praise and does it deflect off me and go to god's glory or again we can say this we say the right or though and really is it is it coming and is it soaking into my own heart and soul or i'm actually yeah yeah i deserve this um this is this is entitled to me so as comes my praise, will it come with my pride? So here's the turning point of so many people's lives. Now, this isn't just like pastor and ministry, okay? This is like anywhere in your life, man. This is you and your workplace, you and your home. This is you and your kids. This is you and your friends. This could be the small, this could be a hobby you're really good at, okay? I mean, it's just the state of the heart. It's where your heart's at. So it applies to, will it come with pride? Because when it comes with pride, this is, do I go backwards or do I go forwards? If it comes with pride, I forgo promotion, God doesn't exalt those who are stealing his glory. He doesn't share his glory with other people. When my praise comes, will it be met with pride, and then will I forego my promotion? When I deflect it back to the glory of God, I have told and showed the Lord, I am ready now to continue to be used. And this is what we see with David. We, it's remarkable we see within him and in this, this onslaught. We're going to see why, though, he was able to kind of withstand the success because God would throw some trials upon his life. But love when success will surely be our, our greatest test. You know, that's why I, I say often that I'm most uncomfortable when I find myself too comfortable. You know what I mean? When life starts going like pretty good and you're kind of, you know, on your spiritual couch, so to speak, and you're kind of relaxing, and, oh man, things are going well, I just feel really good about it. And then all of a sudden when you start feeling really comfortable, then your need for God kind of decreases. And then in your comfort, your self-reliance increases. And as self-reliance increases, and I don't need God so much anymore, my prayers aren't filled with the same kind of anguish as they were before. My intensity in searching God isn't the same as what it used to be. And if you're not relying on God, you're relying on self, someone else. And that's why in my life, man, just, as much as I don't like the trials, really, because it hurts so much, I've learned to say, man, there's some beauty in those things. We'll see that as this message goes on too. But I'm most uncomfortable in my life when things are most comfortable. Keep your heart with all vigilance, loved ones. Watch your heart, how quickly the heart turns to evil and pride. Let me ask you this question. Are you being ruined by success even now? Take a look at your heart and has your heart wandered? Has your heart grown cold? Is your true ambition self, not Christ? I mean, just right now, think. Ask yourself these honest questions. Has your heart wandered from the Lord? You know. Are you more focused on money right now than you are on Jesus Christ? Are you more focused on your career than you are Jesus Christ? Are you more focused on how people think of you than you are Jesus Christ? Are you more focused on getting yourself out? I mean, just, just, just take a look, and you probably know right now. You probably know right now what the answer is. Could it be that you're slowly, we're slowly being ruined by our own success? Has our purity and devotion to the Lord been polluted by the world I mean, this is how our world's set up, man. It feeds into self and flesh. So if we're not guarding our hearts on a daily basis, we're done. Success becomes our greatest test. It's amazing to me, again, how many people have gotten what they wanted, again, to their own destruction. I remember many years ago, I sat beside a very prominent pastor. I mean, he was, like, admired. He had massive speaking platforms. He was nationally known. I mean, big, big, big deal. I had the chance to sit beside him. He leaned over to me and he said, Robbie, you do not want my life. And I'm just like, man, as a young man, I'm like, what? 
are you talking about? Like everything that, you know, pastors, this is, you're doing it. And I, you don't want my life. It's, it's not always what it's cracked up to be. So remarkably in our text here, David, he seems to handle the success in a way that's, I mean, there's no indication that his heart is being turned. We're going to see, though, immediately God will protect his heart. But David, despite people around him were not being helpful, I just, I want to, I want to point this out to you. This was, I've never seen this before. Look at uh, chapter 18, verse 6, okay? Uh, verse 6. So David defeats Goliath as they were coming home and David returned from striking down the Philistine. Notice this. The women came out of all the cities of Israel. Okay, that, that's a lot of women, okay? And uh, they were singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. Okay, this is a, a real party, a real celebration. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Now, this would be the beginning of Saul's decline into being ruined over jealousy, okay? But notice what's happening here as the women come out singing, dancing, playing music, and what they're saying. Who is the focus on from the women? Who are they praising? They're praising men. They're praising Saul and they're praising David. Saul thousands, David ten thousands. Isn't it interesting? When the Red Sea was parted and the Egyptians were defeated, Miriam, Moses' sister, the first thing she does is build a psalm and a song of praise to God. God is amazing. Our God is awesome. God is the one who delivered us from the Egyptians. She's not praising Moses. Maybe because she was his sister and she surely couldn't be Moses, all right? But there's no way she's praising him, all right? Praising him. But in this situation, the women come out and they're like, David! and Saul, Saul, and is, that, is that helpful for David? Is that helpful? No, because David knows it's not him, man. It, but this shows us the spiritual decline of Israel. They were in such a shallow state spiritually that when they see the victory, their first response is, man, God, God. Hey, loved ones, here's our lesson. Do not praise man. Do not come up to people that you Think our great Lord and start puffing them up with, wow, you're amazing. Wow, you're this. Wow, you're that. Listen, we plant in water, only God gives the growth, okay? Only God can change the heart, okay? Yes, I'm not against encouragement. We're, we're taught biblically, encourage one another as in the Lord. Awesome. Love each other. Build each other up. I'm all for that. It's a spiritual gift. Love it, okay? But there's a difference between encouraging someone and flattering someone by elevating them than making them think and tempting them to actually believe that they are the cat's meow within this church or wherever else. I love what Paul Tripp said to me. He said to me, he says in his book, actually, too, he says when people come up to him like, wow, you're the greatest, you're the best, you do this, you do that. And he's like, if they really knew me, they wouldn't say that. If they really knew my heart, they wouldn't say that. Why? Because we're all sinners in need of a Savior. We're all men and women with feet of clay. There's, yeah, God uses people. Praise the Lord for that. He does. And some seemingly more than others, but at the end of the day, man, it is not helpful for the women to come out singing, dancing, and playing music and saying, David, 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 David. Let's not do that here either. God is the hero. God is the hero. And what we're going to find out here is here's one of God's movements in the ways that we would never think, but God begins to protect David by raising people up to oppose David. Point number two, uh, success could provoke my greatest opposition. Success in the Lord could provoke my greatest opposition. There are really three main characters in chapter 18. David, Saul, Jonathan. There's others, but these are the three main characters. Each have a lot to teach us. We have seen David as God-given success, but now the question is, how will other people respond to the success of David? Hearts are so revealed as certain people are elevated by God, and then how people respond around them says so much about where our hearts are at. We're going to see two vastly different reactions from two vastly different hearts. Here's the first heart. It's the heart of Jonathan, which has blessed me so much this week. Look at 18 verse 1. As soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. Like, notice how instantaneously this happened, okay? And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him, gave it to David, and his armor, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. Okay? Now, 
Do you realize why the actions of Jonathan here are so massive? Jonathan was the crown prince. Jonathan was the heir to the throne. Jonathan was Saul's eldest son. Jonathan, in every single person's eyes in Israel, was next in line to be king. So think about it. Think about it. If anyone had reason and motivation to be threatened and jealous of David, even more than Saul, I believe, it's Jonathan. Yet the heart of Jonathan here is revealed in this text. It is amazing. I mean, from the moment, the text says, from the moment Jonathan heard David's voice, he loved him as his own soul. That's incredible. You know, many consider Jonathan and David to be two teenagers running around giving each other high fives all the time. Listen, you had to be at least 20 years old to be a commander in the Israelite army. That was Jonathan. And he'd already won two battles in previous chapters in 1 Samuel. So all the scholars estimate at least five-year gap between them, probably more, maybe 10 years, maybe more than that even. They're not two 17-year-olds hanging out and saying, hey, man, these, Jonathan was significantly older than David. He was the one who was lined up to be the next king. He was the one who had every right to be so jealous of the situation that he was in. But if you look at verses 3 and 4, you see Jonathan's humility, his friendship, and his love was so powerful to the point. He makes a covenant with David. Then notice, he takes off his armor and gives it to David, all of it. Why is that so significant? For Jonathan to do this, when he takes off his armor and gives it to David, he is signifying to David right there, you are to be the next king. And anyone who saw this happening would know exactly what was being said. This is incredible character and humility that Jonathan is showing. Obviously, Jonathan, too, had such a vision of the Lord because this is the only way he could really do this, you know? You know, you, you, you think about us in our lives, and here's where it gets really, well, depressing in some ways, but we get jealous and envious over someone taking our parking spot, let alone giving up our kingdom, Right? We get, we're standing in a conversation with three or four friends and one other person is getting encouragement and praise and in our minds we're like, how come I'm not getting praise? Why are you talking about, how come I want, I want to be the one to get the encouragement. How come you get the encouragement? Let alone giving up our line to the throne. Some of us even walked in here today and we were angry in our hearts for someone else had the nerve to take the seat that we usually sit in. What does this reveal? What does this reveal? It reveals the wickedness of our hearts. I mean, you can, we can go on and on and on about this and just the level of jealousy and envy that we have in so many hundreds of dis- different situations throughout our lives. Loved ones, it's showing us, man, our hearts are wicked. We need Jesus. We need the cleansing forgiveness of our Savior. But listen, like this, more astounding is Jonathan, the character, the love, the friendship. I mean, you look at Jonathan, Lord, can I be like that? God, can you make me like Jonathan? Can I have friends like that? Oh my goodness. Can I have friends that would act towards me the way Jonathan is acting towards David? The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep, Romans 12. But our hearts are so wicked, we often weep as others rejoice and we rejoice when people weep. Now we would never say that out loud. We would never show that. We do the right thing. We look, oh, it's up inside. We can have this wicked thoughts of gladness when certain people are seeing hard times and experience difficulty. That is so wicked. That is the depravity of our hearts that goes on way too often. If you're convicted right now, repent. Repent. Run to the Lord. Beg him to forgive your heart and make it from black. To be pure and white as snow. That's why Christ died. Do you secretly delight when bad things happen to certain people? The Lord sees it all. He sees every thought of our heart and mind. He knows everything. God help us. Jonathan was so in line with God's heart that he believed whatever happened, God's way is best. See, Jonathan, without hesitation, this is what's happening in Jonathan's heart. He's like, okay, so God's clearly working in David. If God's plan is David is to be king and not me, I'm in. That, that, that is love. That is, that is so humble. If God's plan doesn't include me in the way I thought it did, but now it's David, it's God's plan, that's all I need to know, I'm in. I support it all. 
incredible. And of course, his own father would be the exact opposite. Oh, to be a friend like Jonathan, so beautiful, so rare. Oh, to have friends like Jonathan, so beautiful and so rare. Heart number one is Jonathan. Heart number two now is Saul. So one heart handles David's success wonderfully. The other heart now handles it disastrously. Look at verses 8 and 9. So the women say their, their sentence there. And Saul now, verse 8, was very angry, and the saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can we have but the kingdom? What more can he have but the kingdom? And look at verse 9. And Saul eyed David from that day on. Now, I want you, and we'll get to this in a second, but I want you to notice here, David was successful in the Lord, and because of his success, this brought one of his greatest trials he would ever face. I mean, the jealousy of Saul, the sovereignty of God, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. It's just amazing. It's all happening, though. God's plan, God, God, God's allowing this. But let's turn, we have to take a few moments here. Let's learn about the heart of jealousy and its devastation from the life of Saul. Three lessons we're going to put on behind me, beside me, okay? I want you to see this about jealousy. Number one, if unchecked, my jealousy will consume me. If left unchecked, my jealousy will consume me. Notice in verse 7 that Saul was unable to rejoice in his own fruitfulness. So the ladies were like, Saul and his thousands, David and his ten thousand. Last time I checked, thousands is pretty good, right? I mean, thousands is a lot. Saul, man, you've been used. Like God, God's used you. Military leader, the king of God's people, a thousands, you know, under your leadership. Like God's, that's pretty great. But see, this is the wickedness of jealousy. Jealousy is not thankful for what I have. Jealousy resents what others have that I don't. Wicked, okay? Jealousy doesn't recognize God's grace in my life. Jealousy resents God's grace in other people's lives. And then in verse 9, and Saul eyed David from that day on. See, Saul's heart is unable to handle this test, and because he's unable to handle it, he becomes consumed with his own sin. All loved ones run from this blackened heart. Has this come upon you? Are you filled with envy right now? See, jealousy and envy is one of the most terrible sins because it acts as a poison that starts to eat us from the inside out. Some of you are like, you got a verse for that? I'm like, yes, I do. Proverbs 14, verse 30. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, uh, but envy makes the bones rot. Here, envy makes the bones rot. Frederick Buchner uh, defined envy as this. Envy is the consuming desire to have everybody else as unsuccessful as you are. So jealousy is misery, and misery likes company, doesn't it? These are the great tests. These, you know, the unregenerate heart is only further hardened by their sin. The regenerate, truly saved person in Jesus Christ, you should be broken in your sin right now. There should be a brokenness developing over the reality of how we grieve the Lord with our jealousy. And this leads us into lesson number two. It's this. My jealousy is ultimately against God. My jealousy is ultimately against God. So look at verse 10 now. The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he was raged within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had a spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought I will pin David to the wall but David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him but Saul had departed or um, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful all of him, for all the people of Israel and Judah loved David. And he came out and went out before them. Now notice here that uh, the jealousy of Saul is driving him mad. Notice, jealousy leads to anger, and then anger, in this case, leads to the attempted murder of David over and over and over again. Uh, what I want us to see, okay, Saul is opposing David, but here's the madness, but in reality, Saul is opposing God. The single greatest reason Saul wanted to kill David is because God was with him. See, if Saul had any wisdom in this moment, if he had any wisdom at all, he would understand, do I want my life to be known as someone who was tempting to, with every minute I had, to kill a person that God Almighty was so powerfully working within? Is that really what Saul would want to do? If Saul had any moment of clarity, he would say, what am I doing? What am I doing? Just like Jonathan. Of course I want to support this. But Saul was mad. 
He was mad due to his jealousy and the corruption of his heart. Loved ones, when jealousy enters into our hearts, what's happening, we have to understand this, okay? When I'm jealous, what's happening is I'm saying, I am disagreeing with how God has blessed you and worked in your life. What I'm saying is, I want what you have. I want who you, who you are. And so therefore, I'm disagreeing with God's dealing with you in your life. God, you are unjust. God, you are unfair. God, you have not treated me the way I deserve. So really, God, in my jealousy of person A, you, you are the one that I'm actually mad against. You are the one that I blame. Jealousy and envy is ultimately a sin against the Lord. You got to think about that as we're in the midst of it. You are accusing God of being unfair because he has dealt with you unkindly. The sovereign, perfect God of the universe, you are accusing of being unkind towards you because others have what you do not. And I wonder, do we really want to spend our lives too? And the worst scenarios are when God is clearly moving in someone and then that's what sparks our jealousy because you really want your life to be about opposing someone God is powerfully working with him. Is that ever going to be a good plan? Is that ever going to work out well? No. That will never, ever work out well. If unchecked, my jealousy will consume me. Number two, my jealousy is ultimately against God. Number three, my jealousy will cause me to do a few things. Number one, this, it will cause me to compare. My jealousy will cause me to compare. If thoughts of comparison are filling our minds, okay, loved ones, look here, look here, look here, look here, okay? If your life is filled with constant comparison of different people in different situations, if you find yourself just comparing all the time and all this, if we're filled with comparison of other people and jealousy and envy, that's a real sign that we have sickness in our soul. Like, it's not a question. That's just, a, if we find ourselves comparing all the time in all these different situations, that's revealing we are sick in our hearts. Our hearts are sick. Jesus, forgive us, please. Jesus, Jesus cleanse my heart. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, I, I can't be this way. I, I don't want to be this way. The power and the danger of comparison. You know, I, so often in the mornings at our home, I'm sitting in my chair in my quiet time, and then often the girls, the two young girls, I don't want to throw my children under the bus too much here, but they're young enough they probably won't remember, all right? So... The, the girls get up, and what happens almost every single morning is they go get juice. And the older one is able to help the younger one with the juice right now, and I'm not going not gonna to name names entirely here, all right? But uh, when the juice gets poured, it's amazing as I sit in my chair and I watch this event happen virtually every morning. As the juice gets poured, there's one particular girl in our family who is absolutely policing the entire process to make sure that her juice cup is not one fraction of a millimeter lower than her other sister. And the eyes go like this. It's like this. It's this. And they literally together, they are making sure that justice is served on the juice that is handed out. And I'm watching there. I'm just like, man, look at these hearts of jealousy and envy and comparison. And I say to myself, I'm so glad we're not like that. Can you think of all the juice cups in your life? I mean, really, loving. just think about it. Think about how much we look. And in our lives, we're, we're like, how come she is? How come she gets that? How come she wears that, Julie? How come he drives that car? How come they live in that neighborhood? How come he gets to serve in the church that way? How come they're elevated this way? How come I don't have this? How do, compare, 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 compare. Death to your soul. Corruption of your heart. It'll bring it down every single time. We compare cars, clothes, children, careers, churches, checkbooks, contacts, and those are just words that start with C. You know, in our whole social environment of liking, I like you, you like me, please like me. I'm not going to like you. I compare myself with you, and I want to like you. I'm going to... I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna support you in here. What is that? It's our society is feeding into our flesh of envy, jealousy, and comparison every single day of our lives. You you have to be wise. You got to be wise to see what's going on. Like they're feeding on us to take advantage of the flesh that wants to succumb to the power of comparison and jealousy and envy. Think of how much society is being just just eroded in the pursuit of self, and, and elevating myself over other people. And the more you think about it, you're like, oh God. Please, Lord, apply the gospel to my life again right now. My jealousy will cause me to compare. My jealousy will cause me to complain. 
to complain. You think of um, Saul, right? Comparison everywhere. God's with David, not with me. Uh, ten thousands and thousands, and he's and then and then the complaining, the complaining that's happening here. You know, it's amazing. Saul's response is the exact opposite of Jonathan's. Saul's response is the exact opposite of John the Baptist's response to Jesus. John the Baptist, man, he was the man of the hour. He's there, right? Jesus comes in, and John the Baptist is like, "There's Jesus. I can become less. He becomes more. Awesome. Spirit of God." Jonathan, here, David. I become less. David becomes more. Saul's like, "Here comes David. I must kill him." You know what envy is? Envy is the thankless life. That's why envy is such a problem in our lives because we're filled with jealousy and envy. We're not grateful. We're ungrateful. We complain. That's a massive problem. We are thankless. One of the signs we are filled with the Spirit of God, Ephesians 5, is that we are filled with gratitude. One of the signs we're not filled with the Spirit of God, obviously jealousy, envy, and we have no thankfulness within our lives. I, I really commend to you the process on an ongoing basis of today uh, starting and saying out loud in your life, God, I'm thankful for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I mean, try to, I mean, just go as long as you start with the gospel. If you're saved in Jesus Christ right now, um, you can start there and you can watch your mind start to change and your heart start to turn to that. God, I'm thank you that I'm saved. God, I'm thank you that I'm not going to hell. God, I thank you that you have chosen me. I'm thankful that you have redeemed me despite my, just, just, just start going. Forget all the you know, extras in life. Forget uh, what you want in your house. Forget all. Just, just start with the gospel. And just see if you start to get warm in your heart. It's amazing. You're focused on Christ, what he's done for you. All of a sudden, the people you're so jealous of, they just don't really seem to be in the picture anymore. Amen, brother. Amen. And this is what happens. But my jealousy will cause me to complain. And then lastly here, my jealousy will cause me to hate. It will cause me to... To hate, you know, for the next entire seasons of Saul's life, basically from now until when Saul dies, all he wanted to do was kill David. His whole life, like ambition, was to kill the man that God was working within. So Saul threw spears, verse 11. Saul sent David into battle in the hopes he would die, verse 25. Saul was his outright enemy, it says in verse 29. This is the destruction of jealousy. You know, you consider Jonathan's heart with Saul's heart. Can you see the inherent difference? One set of eyes on the Lord, the other set of eyes set on self. Again, loved ones, uh, wisdom is calling. The phone's for you. It's wisdom, okay? The phone's for you right now. It's wisdom. And you're like, hello? And wisdom says, listen, you don't want your life at the end of your one chance at this thing to have to stand before the Lord and give an account of why you spent the majority of your time being jealous of other people around you. The phone's for you. It's wisdom. Don't be that woman. Don't be that man. At the end of it all, you stand before God and he's like, man, I gave you some gifts. I gave you lots of time. I gave you opportunity, man. I, I gave you a sweet church to be involved. I gave you that. I gave you that. And can you explain to me why you spent the majority of your time concentrating what other people had that you didn't and fill with envy and jealousy? Please, Lord, not me. Please, please, God, not me. Please, Lord, no. What a disaster. What a train wreck. I want you to see if there hasn't been enough conviction today. I just want to allow you to see one piece of God's word right here. James chapter 3, I want you to see this. If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. Ready? Ready? Okay, so bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in our hearts. This isn't the wisdom that comes from above. Ready? It is earthly. It is unspiritual. Hello. It is demonic. So if somehow we begin to convince ourselves that jealousy and envy, ah, it's okay. It won't be that bad. Well, what the God, God's Word wants to tell you today, actually, no, this is, this is Satan working through you. This is, this is demonic activity within our lives. Why? For wherever jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Isn't that so true? You think of the marriage filled with jealousy and selfish ambition. You think of the, the home. You think of the church leadership. You think of the church in general. You just think of the, of the workplace filled with jealousy, and it never goes well, ever. Disorder and every vile practice. So we're learning here from a couple of different angles in David's life. Success is going to be my greatest test. 
Also, success could provoke my greatest opposition, Saul's jealousy towards David, and we don't want to be Saul. But then thirdly this, I want you to see this, and we'll end with this, obviously. True success, if you really want to be successful in the Lord, loved ones, true success will require my greatest humiliation. If you really want to be successful in the Lord, it will require you and me to be utterly humiliated um, on an ongoing basis. The truth I want to point out here, I want you to see how much David lost due to his success. It almost seems like an oxymoron. What do you mean? Like David's success in the Lord caused him to lose? It did. It really did. The ways of God are not the ways of man. And sometimes what we deem as losing in the temporary, God will prove in the long term. Uh, it's actually winning. But just, just notice this. Probably many of you have not seen this before. So in chapter 19, David loses four main things because God is at work within his life. Uh, number one, David loses his favor. He loses his favor, the favor of man. Look at verse, nine, or verse one of chapter 19. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. Okay, so what had David done so far? Here's what David has done so far. Everything God wanted him to do and everything Saul wanted him to do, yet within this, he is now a target of death. Why? Because he was successful in the Lord. He did not lose God's favor, but he lost the favor of man in this case, in the, in the case of Saul. He lost favor. Number two, David loses his job. Verse 10, chapter 19. And Saul sought to pin David to the wall with a spear, but he eluded Saul, so that he struck the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. Let's just say this. David was not returning to work the next day, all right? So David is being used of the Lord, but now he's ducking spears. Have you ever had to duck spears? I can remember specific times in my life in ministry where I felt I was ducking spears for reasons I could not understand in the moment. You kind of look back now, and you're like, you know, loved ones, here's some good application. Be a spear ducker, don't be a spear chucker, all right? Because those who chuck spears are the fruit of jealousy and envy. Notice when the, when the, when the spear goes to the wall, David could have took the spear. This is the, here's David. He, he could have taken the spear to the wall and said, okay, okay, Saul, here we go, man. And just like his temptation with his brother Eliab, because I'm, I'm sick of you, man. I know I'm going to be king. Taking uh, his own will in his own hands and throwing it back at Saul, he probably wouldn't have missed. Could have killed him right there. But David doesn't. David, again, overcomes evil with good again. Isn't it interesting? Now, here's, here's one way we know we're growing in wisdom and maturity. I mean, I just like, you will be tempted every day to have many spears in your hand and to throw them. I mean, so many situations. Sadly, marriage itself presents us with many temptations to have spears and throw and not to mention every other relationship we've ever had. Here's wisdom, okay? When you grab a spear and you're about to throw it at someone, when you know you're going wisdom, you're going to throw it and, and, the, and the Holy Spirit goes, stop, 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 stop. And the Holy Spirit says, if you throw that spear, you will lose. You're like, no, no, I feel like I'm going to win. I really want to hurt that person. My flesh is like really raging right now. It's going to feel good. I want to kill that person. And you can throw that. I promise you, child, you will lose. Or you can drop the spear and you can choose to win. You're like, why? Because this is the will of God. The will of God is to love our enemies. The will of God is to be men and women of love, the ways of Jesus Christ. It's amazing, though. Okay, this is when you know you're not smart in the Lord. You're throwing spears all the time. You don't even know you are. You're just chucking them all over the place, man. People getting obliterated all in front of you. But when you're growing in wisdom, the Holy Spirit says, stop! And you have the awareness and the sensitivity to the Lord, and here again, th this is the power of life so much. You have the spear, you know you have the spear, you're about to throw the spear, and you make the choice right there. Am I choosing to willfully sin now, or will I choose to obey the Lord and be an agent of grace, not an agent of hate? So much of life is lived there. You will have multiple opportunities today to do that. The more you're growing in Christ, the Holy Spirit like, shh, 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 and you'll say, see, you're just, it's just, it's wisdom, love. I'm so big on wisdom because it's just life. It's just, okay, okay, so, so, I can lose by throwing it. I can win by dropping it. It never changes. It, there's never any other situation or conclusion or result. I want to win. Don't you want to win? It's just wisdom. It's truth. David lost his favor. David lost his job. David lost his wife. You're like, what? Verse 12. So Michal, or Michael, depending on how you want to pronounce that, 
let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. In chapter 18, Saul gave his daughter Michal to David. But again, the only reason he did that, he wanted to kill David by using her. He's like, you want my, you want my daughter? Go out and bring back uh, 100 Philistine foreskins. Kill 100 Philistines. David comes after 200, and Saul's like, man, I can't kill this guy. And he goes out and kills 200 guys, whatever. So he gets his daughter, Michal, but now they're living at home together, and then he sends soldiers to David's house to kill him. David's wife, Michal, helps him escape, lowers him down, and then from what I can understand from this point on, they would never be together in the same way again. And Michal would have her own issues later on in 2 Samuel, but he lost his wife. Why? Because he was successful in the Lord. Lost favor, lost his job, lost his wife, and then fourthly this, he lost his security. He lost his security. Look at verse 18. Verse 18, now David fled and escaped and came to Samuel at Ramah and told him all that Saul had done to him. This begins the process of David continually running for his life, okay? Think about it. One day shepherd's field, the next day the palace, and the next day now running for his life. And the only reason, if you're David, that you can attribute these events in your life is that the Lord is with me. That's where we scratch our heads. We're like, how does that make sense? Two things I want you to see here in the lesson I think is so profound. You have the jealousy of Saul under the sovereignty of God. I believe what's happening to David right here, which would continue on for an extended season of his life and be one of the hardest trials he went through. I believe as a mentor taught me a little while ago, I said, Robbie, I believe this is a form of severe, God's severe mercy on your life. God at times will allow us to go through what his mercy, but in a severe form at the end of the day to protect us from ourselves. How much longer could David take? Ten thousands, ten thousands. David's the best. David's a, David. How much longer could he take it until his heart fell to the pressure of his success? I think God in his grace and mercy, he allows the opposition to come from Saul. This sends David running in complete desperation. This next season of his life, David would write some of the greatest psalms ever recorded that we are now benefiting from 3,000 years later. He would be formed into the greatest king Israel ever had. It's the moments of the severe mercy of God and the tremendous trial and temptation and testing upon David's life that would break him and crush him and mold him that God could use him. That is the severe mercy mercy of God. We look at it. God, get me out of this. I hate it. But God's like, but you will see my child. In the end, you will thank me for it because it is my grace forming in you, my character being used through you, and my glory will come from you as you allow yourself to surrender in the midst of the severe mercy that I'm allowing you to. So I think in God's perfect wisdom, this was God loving David and protecting him. There's a principle of truth that I've kind of been forming over here in the last a few weeks that has meant so much to me and as much as this week. And here's the principle of truth. It's right here. It says this. God will often withhold what we want in order to produce in us what we need. You gotta think there's many times David, like, I want out of this. I don't wanna be, I don't want someone killing me every day of my life. Can I just have a moment of peace? God, can I, can I, can I get back to the palace? Can I, can I just be the king that's kind of in a, a place of serenity and quiet? I mean, sure, David wanted, 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 wanted. And these weren't bad wants. But God will often withhold what we want. Because in his wisdom, he wants to produce in us what we what we need. You know, my own version of this, and I've been a season of my life in the last eight, nine, ten weeks where, and I, I don't, I don't consider, I think your trials are probably way more significant than mine, but I have gone through a season with my life where I just, frankly, physically, in other ways, did not feel I could do what I'm called to do. And I never felt that weak over that uh, long a period of time. Um, Many, many times saying, Lord, like in tears by myself, I can't do this. In tears, I can't do it. I cannot keep doing this, God. You need to help me. Just feel normal. I'm not actually saying I need to be top of the mountain. Just, just help me feel normal. But it didn't happen. And then process after process and week after week and even just this week and sitting there and at my study desk and looking at David's example in his life and just saying, wow, I really wanted a lot of things in the last eight to ten weeks. I really wanted, which I think were fine desires. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think they were sinful. But I look back and I'm like, wow, Lord, you didn't give me what I wanted, but you did produce in me 
See, when you look back and you see, man, like what happens in those moments, all of a sudden things get stripped down to a very pure level. And all of a sudden, the things that maybe distracted you, they're not really in the forefront now. And all of a sudden, in your desperation, all you want is the strength to face the day. And so you look back and you're like, wow, Lord, if I was in charge, things would be a lot different. But if I was in charge, I would be a lot worse off. It's hard to get to that point, but when you do get there and you can look back, you can say, Lord, you are good. And you maybe protect me from myself by not giving me what I want to produce in me what I need. This is what's happening to David. If if you, I want to be used, I want to be used, I want to, do you really want to be used in the Lord? If you really want to be used in the Lord, you better get ready to get crushed. You really want to be, you better get ready to be humiliated. If you don't want the hard road, man, just don't, don't count on being used by God. There is no person in the history of the world that has been exempt from these principles. This is why A.W. Tozer said, before God is going to use a man greatly, he must wound him deeply. And this is what David is going through, and this is what you and I are going to go through. You think of the success versus the humiliation. Is there any greater example of the greatest success and greater humiliation than our Savior, Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ ultimately achieved the greatest success of dying for our sins and ultimately suffered the greatest humiliation of being humbled to the point of death, even death on a cross. And this is why God has therefore highly exalted him and given him the name above all names. Jesus Christ died, loved ones, that we might be saved. Are we not now called? Jesus was tested, viciously opposed, and utterly humiliated. We are now not tested, opposed to save ourselves, but we now follow in the pattern of the one who set us free and saved us, that we may now choose to die to self, that we may now live for him. This is the power of the gospel in our lives, and this is ultimately the life that David was pointing to, and this is where we are today. God, in light of Jesus Christ, allow us to choose to become less, that you might become more in and through our lives. Because at the end of the day, we're not living for now. We're living for what will be. Loved ones, this is not, this is not a message for the faint of heart. This is not a message for the habitually immature But this is a message and principle for those who are serious about following the Lord Jesus Christ and desiring to be used of him, but knowing what it's going to cost them that he might truly get glory. Let's pray right now. Let's pray. Father, I pray you be building us in wisdom and maturity. God, I pray that you would be moving through us in a very powerful way. I pray even now we are confessing our sins. Forgive us for our jealousy. Forgive us for our envy. Forgive us for wasting so many moments of our mind, time, and actions on things that matter not in the pursuit of trying to um, throw spears at other people when we are called to glorify Jesus Christ. But you do forgive us, Lord. You do forgive us. And loved ones, please understand right now, Jesus Christ, if you are saved in him, Jesus Christ, you have received his grace. He will never let you go. He will forgive you. He will hold on to you. And as David walked through the valley of the shadow of death, he would find out how faithful his God is. God would be with him. God would keep him. And if you find yourself walking in a similar valley right now, God will keep you and God will walk with you. He will never, ever let you go. That is our confidence. That is our hope. That is our joy right now. God, make this church mature. Make this church wise. Please, Lord, we beg you, make us wise people wise people. You've given us your truth. Like It's not a matter of, I, I need to know. We are all hearing this together right now. And build in us, Lord, build in us the understanding and the privilege it is to walk with you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.